Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, our, our colleagues are going to watch it. They'll never watch your show. Yeah. But like, but so you might get a few more people and then they'll, they'll watch this and then uh, we either come across as idiots. Well, if we yeah. come across as idiots, maybe we can just blame the bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's true. everyone we're back with a great new episode today but as usual we've got a lot of news to go through and this is some big highlights you know we've been talking about it about bourbon and beyond and the bands have finally been announced there's lenny kravitz john mayer Cheryl crow sting and of course somebody that you truly love bourbon pursuit will be there as well yes we're gonna be there moderating two different of the workshops one is a favorite where we talk about the rarest whiskey in the world, which is private barrel selections. We're gonna be joined by Larry Rice of the Silver Dollar, Danny Wimmer, the founder of Bourbon Beyond, Drew Colesveen, who knows he needs no introduction from Willet, and Jane Bowie, the master of maturation of Maker's Mark. The other session that we're taking care of and that we're moderating is called the Audacity of Source Whiskey. And this is featuring Smooth Ambler's John Foster, Boone County's Josh Quinn, and Castle and Key's Marianne Barnes. For anybody that wants to come and see this venue, get more information on the festival, tickets will be on sale April 20th. So start making your travel plans now. Visit bourbonandbeyond.com. And you can also get more information by listening to them mid-roll on today's podcast. As we had mentioned last time, Patreon shipments are going out and they're going to continue to go out this week as well. And before long, we're going to actually start shipping out in March. So we're going to be on a continual train of getting this uh, shipping frenzy taken care of. And now some more information on today's show. You know, this was really sparked by an article Fred Minnick wrote in the New York Times um, back on July 10th of 2017 called Will Trump Kill the Bourbon Boom? And it really got a lot more press over the past few weeks when the ideas of tariffs and trade were really sparked. So we moved the recording schedule up to be able to bring this at a, a, such an opportune time. And instead of us really trying to figure out what this all means, we invited economic professors from the University of Louisville to explain it for us. So we're doing what we do best and letting the experts do the talking. At the end of the show, Professor Connor Lennon talks about a research paper he did evaluating data from the secondary bourbon market. I had a chance to read over it and it's awesome. He used data from a defunct Facebook group and whiskeyauction.com to see how valuations trended over a period of three years where bourbon values increased from about 20 to 30%. It's called bourbon whiskey, boring collectible or valuable alternative investment. So if you're a numbers buff, check out the show notes on our website and get linked directly to the paper. As always, we've got great stuff that are coming through Patreon right now. We've got all new stuff from, from bottle totes, patches, t-shirts, koozies, stickers, and more with all our new logos. So if you like the show, make sure you support it. Patreon.com slash Bourbon Pursuit. And as well, we also do barrel picks with this as well. We've got two more that are lined up. And third, that's going to be a big surprise. I can't wait to announce it when we finally get it locked in. I think it'll blow some people's minds. As usual, make sure you're following us on all those great social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so you can see what we're drinking or any kind of news or anything that's uh, top of mind for us. And if you like the show, subscribe to us on iTunes as well as YouTube and Facebook. You can watch it through audio and video through all those mechanisms. Make sure to keep those iTunes reviews coming in. We love seeing all the reviews. You know, those iTunes reviews actually help the show grow in popularity too. It gets us moved up to the top spots. So when people search for bourbon and iTunes, they get to see this show. And as usual, if you want to see all these new episodes, beam to your straight to your inbox. Every Thursday morning when they're released, go to birdpursuit.com, scroll down, hit the email button, get subscribed on our email list, and you're gonna get everything to your inbox as soon as it's released. With that, enjoy this week's episode. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits 
and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Get 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back to the episode of the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Ryan in our official recording studios. Yes. Um, yeah, but this time we're, we're talking about a subject that, you know, I think we brought up one time on our roundtable uh, quite a little bit ago, but... You know, we weren't necessarily probably the best people to talk about it because we don't really know what we're talking about sometimes when it comes to this particular subject. Well, I think that's probably correct of any subject. <laughs> uh, we kind of fake it, you know, till we make it about most things. But definitely on this topic, because, you know, I have my own business, whatever, I understand economics, taxes, tariffs, but this is like kind of way over my head. So I'm really interested to go back to school today to kind of learn about what kind of impact the new laws and everything that's going on with the Trump administration and new tariffs on different things and trade agreements. So really interested today. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, when I said that, you know, we, we talked about it one time, we talked about it, but under the, the, the premise that we knew that was current news, but we don't actually know what we're talking about. Like we could say that we slept in a Holiday Inn last night, but it doesn't mean that we know jack about economics. Um, you know, you ask this kind of question, you push it on some of the forums, all of a sudden people come out of the woodwork and they think that they're the expert or they say something you know, off the wall to say like, great, more bourbon in America. Like, you know, yeah. it's, and, and I think it's, those are the, <laughs> those are the things that I think we want to really dispel uh, when we, when we talk about this is really thinking about the larger picture, the overall impact. Yeah. Uh, Cause I mean, it, it doesn't impact just drinkers, but impacts, you know, my family, a lot of are employed by distilleries back in, Bardstown, damn it, I hate to say it, but it always <laughs> comes knows, back to Bardstown. Everybody knows where you're from. <laughs> but uh, no, it impacts so many people that are in this state, you know, and the bourbon drives our economy in a lot of ways. And uh, even my dad, you know, he's a machinist and deals with distilleries and business is great right now. So, and they're anticipating a lot of great things. So they're kind of tiptoeing on these laws because it impacts their future, you know, like what what is it? What's going to happen to us? So absolutely. So I think that is a great segue to kind of kick off the show and introduce our guests. So today on the show we have Connor Lennon as well as Keith Teltzer. It's Doctor Lennon. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Especially to you guys. <laughs> yeah. But these individuals are professors of economics at the University of Louisville, but also avid bourbon lovers too. So, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank they like you. to work hard, party hard, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of my second appearance in a weird way. It, yeah. it is. So if anybody doesn't know, uh, Connor was on the show before. We had the uh, the University of Louisville Economics panel. When we had um, uh, Susan Riegler um, and uh, a few other different people. Names are slipping my mind right now. Bill but Samuels. Bill Samuels, Mike all these people. And Reed Mueller. There we go. We'll just go ahead and do them yeah. all. <laughs> give, them, give them all the credit they deserve. Yeah. But Hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but that was really more focused on maybe um, kind of 101, like what does bourbon, how does it really impact the economy, right? Uh, can, kind of give them a recap of it so people can get an idea. If yeah, well, go you back should definitely listen. listen to that episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? The event at U of L was really focused on how important the bourbon industry is for the Kentucky economy and what the sort of future, the, the near-term future holds for the bourbon industry in Kentucky and all the investment and the new distilleries and that kind of thing. Uh, but today we're we're hoping to go a little bit sort of deeper, a little bit yeah. more nuanced, talk about the sort of bigger picture, the international aspect and the political economy of this. Mm -hmm. Awesome. 
So another question that I want to ask you guys is how did you actually get into bourbon? Uh, want me to go first? Yeah, you go. Uh, so it's it's a, a kind of a series of, of weird events. It's, it's sort of why I got interested in the history of bourbon before I got interested as a product. Um, I, I knew a lot more about bourbon as a uh, as its involvement as sort of American economic history before I knew anything about you know the tasting notes, mm-hmm. right? Um, and this all happened because I went to uh, dinner at Bourbon's Bistro the very first time I came to Louisville for a job interview at the university. Uh, they brought me for dinner, and on the wall there was this picture of these old distillers, and they were standing in front of a rickhouse, and above the rickhouse it says "Bonded by the IRS," and I was struck about how just amazing that was, right? Remember, this was like, uh, the, I think the picture was from the early 1900s, so pre-prohibition. And I was just struck because at that time, the federal government was basically nothing. There was no federal government until they got income taxes in, the, in 1913. And I just was surprised at why the, the, the whiskey industry of all industries in the United States decided to turn to the IRS to, to, to prove that they were the product that they said they were. They were bonded by the IRS. And uh, that set me off on this path of, I got to find out more about this. And then, and so I started, when I moved to Louisville and took the job, I started attending the, the tours and going to the distilleries. I didn't know much about the product. You know, I tasted three things. They all tasted the same. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was 51% corn. Yeah, it was 51% corn. It had to be an Asian, a new old charred oak right. barrel, right? But I couldn't, you know, I couldn't appreciate it. I was still appreciating it for its history and for its uh, the, the role it played in the development of the American economy. You know, you think about things like... Um, uh, the whiskey, the whiskey re- uh, rebellion in Pennsylvania, the the Bottled and Bond Act, which was the first piece of consumer protection legislation in the United States, the federal at the federal level, uh, prohibition. You know, it's one of the only products that has two constitutional amendments: the 18th and 21st, repealing and 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 putting it in place. Uh, you know, it just it's it's this distinctive product, 1964. It's it just fascinates me about how important it has been to the development of the U.S. government, the U.S. economy, and then I fell in love with the the taste. <laughs> yeah, then I fell in love with the taste. Right, so yeah, yeah Keith, I, Keith I, try to follow that one up. Yeah, I don't have anything nearly as exciting. <laughs> like I, I went to tour. Like so, so I brought him with me. <laughs> it was definitely moving to to Louisville. I mean, that that had a ton to do with it. Where are you um, from? I'm from Maryland originally, but okay. then I uh, went to school in, in West Virginia, oh. then in Michigan. So so Michigan was very much a, a beer state, a beer beer place. And so coming here, I kind of had to adjust a little bit because I think the, the bourbon here is probably a lot better than the beer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no offense to any beer. beer yeah, snob say, out there, there we right? go. Well, we're not known, it's not known for the Shots beer. Fired. It's known for yeah. the bourbon. It's known right. for the bourbon, right. Yeah. Um, it's the only state that like, has its own alcohol, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's bourbon. So Connor kind of got me into it a little bit. And also, like, I went to tour Buffalo Trace before I even knew, knew like, the significance of Buffalo Trace. And I don't know, little by little, it just started building up. And then before I know it, like, like August through September of this past year, now I'm, like, out, like, trying to get leads on, on where I can get <laughs> and, Like, I wanted, to, I wanted to chase, like, the chase got me. I wanted a nice bottle that I could crack when I, got the my, hunt. When, my first, when I got my first publication. I was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a really nice bottle of bourbon. I'm going <laughs> to crack it for that. And then you failed, probably, because it's, hard, failed, to, yeah, it's closest, hard to get around. The closest I came was getting an overpriced bottle of Parker's Heritage. But, <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's a good pick. Yeah, I, I just actually, uh, I'll, I just cracked it last week. It's, uh, I, I got my... My my first paper out of my uh, dissertation, uh, not accepted, but quasi accepted for publication. Close, I close it up. We'll take uh, it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll take no. it. And I'll crack the Parkers. No. <laughs> they want you to put in a few missing apostrophes. Yeah. <laughs> Any reason to celebrate, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> hey, always yeah. a good night for bourbon. It's been a little wild of a ride since then. I, I probably have like 50 or 60 bottles of, of bourbon in my basement now. Nothing like what Kenny's got, but. <laughs> Nobody has that. We all start somewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I think before we really kick it off, we should we should set a baseline, right? Because we said at the very beginning, um, not everybody is an economics professor. No. Not everybody took— I e- know supply and demand. That's yeah. about it. But not everybody also took Econ 101 back yeah. in college either. So explain just in its purest form, like, what is a tariff? All right. Cool. So <laughs> sort of at its most simple, a tariff is a tax that one country imposes— uh, on imports from another country. And why would they do that? Uh, there are a few reasons. I mean, one is 
of course, to raise government revenue. Uh, another would potentially be to protect industries uh, within the domestic country. So, um, so, so like thinking about the the current steel tariffs that everyone's talking about. Mm-hmm. The part of it, the idea here is to protect steel manufacturers in the U.S. from foreign competitors that might be undercutting them in terms of price or, or able to more efficiently produ- provide steel to the, the market. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So they put the tax on that country to make it more competitive for U.S. to kind of match pricing. Right. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. And right. this is, I mean, this is this happens all the time. It's nothing that just finally just came out of the woodwork or anything like that, right? I mean, it's it's pretty much across the board on imports, exports, no matter what, right? Yeah, to some degree. I mean, most of these agreements you hear about NAFTA, the European Union, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, they're all about getting countries' <clears throat> administrations together to talk about how you can sort of, hey, if you lower your tariff on this thing, I'll lower my tariff on that thing. And that's the way history has been going for the last sort of 60, 70 years. It's not a case of, um, you know, hey, let's impose new tariffs. It's usually let's, I'll I'll reduce mine if you reduce yours. Yeah. And uh, that's why Perhaps this is so, zero. often yeah. to zero. But uh, th- this is what's so jarring about what's happening at the moment is that this is sort of sparked fears of uh, a new trade war amongst countries and you know, increasing tariffs, which reduces trade across borders for the reasons that it makes things more expensive when you add this tax from other countries on their products. Um, you know, and, and, and that's something that the stock market has reacted to last yeah, week. Uh, yeah. All the businesses that are sort of dependent on steel have seen their share prices sort of tank. And you know, by the time this comes out, who knows what will happen? <laughs> yeah, but, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> the stock market is like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I should also mention we are recording this at a time where it's still a few weeks away from actual the, the release day. So things could things could always change uh, during that time. But we're going to kind of take a, a hypothetical look. Cause yeah, so don't make any day trades. Yeah. Based on, <laughs> <laughs> we are not professional yeah. uh, investment advisors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the um, you know the other thing to kind of look at here is is we also need to set the scene right uh, of of what kind of sparked this. So. Um, for anybody that is unaware, this was something that uh, Fred Minnick had talked about in August of, of 2017. He wrote a, a New York Times article that really sort of sparked a fire here. Uh, and then up until uh, really until March of, of 2018 is when it got serious again. And so this is all based upon uh, imports of U.S. or sorry, imports of steel from foreign companies or foreign countries. But they were looking at putting, uh, at least the European Union was looking at putting tariffs on a few different things and, and not just bourbon. Can one of you uh, kind of set the scene about what also they were looking at doing to kind of make this uh, a level playing field or really what they were trying to target? Yeah. So I think if I remember correctly, the EU also mentioned that they were going to target uh, Harley Davidson's and and blue jeans. And the, <laughs> Peanut butter. Can't get more American. Yeah. <laughs> Peanut butter. And so yeah. the thought is they were going to try to hit these sort of the leadership of, of Congress where it hurts, you know, in their industries that are, are particularly relevant in the states where they're from. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have Mitch McConnell and bourbon. You have Paul Ryan from Wisconsin and, and Harley Davidson, I believe, was the connection there. Um Who's connected to peanut butter? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. No, I mean, it might as well be apple pie, right? Yeah. It's, it's American. Yeah. Everybody's American, connected. Anything American, they're looking to, I guess, retaliate or kind of be like, you know, you, you're going to tax us on this, we're going to tax you on that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's the, the interesting bit of it. It's, it's this retaliatory uh, uh, aspect. And um, I mean, we can talk about this a little more later, but uh, it it's entirely plausible that these are sort of empty threats. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, so we'll, we'll see, I guess what sort of shakes out, but, but yeah, that's the, the idea here. This is why the EU was, was coming back with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just, I want to jump in the, sure. the, the very live nature of the conversation we're having, you know, just, uh, I think it was Friday, the mm-hmm. 22nd, uh, the, the Trump administration announced that the European union was going to be exempt from these right. tariffs. But they also then said we might put in a quota. So if you want a little bit more econ, <laughs> yeah. I think this is what, what do you mean by so, yeah, so, yeah. so a tariff, what a tariff does, it says, okay, you want to ship, let's take bourbon as just our working example. Uh, you want to ship cases, nine liter cases of, of bourbon, there's 12 bottles of 12 fifths. Uh, we're going to take that 
we're going to assess its value and we're going to impose a, a tax. We're going to take, take that tax as it's entering the European Union. That's sort of the nature of a tariff. They, there might be some, you know, it might get have to get sold at retail before that tax is due or something like that, but it really just boils down to something that simple. Um, what that does, why that pisses people off, if you'll excuse my French. Oh, no. um, or or Irish. Whatever. <laughs> or my Irish, right? Um, it, it pisses people off because it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a take by the government, right? It's, it's, it's tax revenue. The customer ends up paying more. Yeah. The producer back in Kentucky gets receives less. And the government takes the difference between um, quotas are just that little bit more palatable for producers in some ways. Uh, what they do is they say, we'll exempt you from the tariff. So your product will be the same price, but we're going to limit how much that you can that you can put in. Okay. Right. And in the case of steel from the European Union, the Trump administration is saying, well, we're, we're going to exempt you from the tariff, but we might put in a quota. And it's a little bit more palatable, but the European Union is probably still going to threaten. And it might be an empty threat, but they're probably still going to continue to sure. threaten. Hey, you know, put a quota on that steel from Japan or the steel from Argentina, but not us, right? Right. Because it, we're important and we can retaliate. Yeah, right. right. Was it, we got some leverage. And, yeah. and I, you know, as much as I can um, remember from listening to like NPR and stuff, but is it, is it Germany? Is that the main country where they're trying to import a lot of steel from or putting those... Tariffs on, like I can't remember the actual country. Germany, I think, is the European Union's biggest steel producer, okay. producer of steel goods. The weird thing about Germany is it's it's a lot of um, re-exported stuff. So they'll import steel, raw steel, or or maybe unfinished steel from somewhere else. They'll work on it. They'll turn it into products that are just steel. It, it might be nuts and bolts. It could, like it's it's the things that you make from steel, and then Germany exports that out. So gotcha. Right? It's not blades. like they've, it's not just like yeah. sheets of the stuff. They're not right. just like exporting like Harry's raw razors steel. Is, is yeah, in uh, it's, Germany, it's highly skilled technical products that mm-hmm. are made of steel. Right, are the real value products. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's well on that point. It's sort of interesting. So so I kind of looked up some of these stats before coming on here. Canada's the top source of American steel imports. Uh, then that's followed by Brazil, South Korea, and then Mexico. Um, all exempted. Yeah, right. <laughs> so interestingly <laughs> enough, all the top uh, exporters of steel to the U.S. have been exempted. But but there's no EU uh, country on that list. So um, I mean, you- and it's not really a shot. Sorry, it's not really a shot at China either. Right? They're like the 15th on the list. They're less than two percent right, uh, right. of American steel exports. So. Um, so it's sort of interesting how the the, the sort of politics have, have yeah how they pick and choose this. who yeah. they, they want to oppose us on. Right. I just want to just before we move away from this retaliation concept, right? The idea, <laughs> the Trump administration was actually kind of smart. If if you're talking politics, uh, when they announced the tariffs on steel and aluminum, uh, they they specifically said it's to do with national security, mm. and the World Trade Organization, who's the arbiter of um, disputes amongst nation states or, or European unions, things like that, um, specifically says that you're allowed to put a tariff on something if you're doing it for national security reasons. And so Trump's claim and the Trump administration's claim is that uh, it's crucially important that we have top quality steel and that we know how to make it ourselves in case of right. war, things like that. You know, it's similar to the, the Jones Act. I don't know how much you know about the Jones Act, but it's from 1920. Yeah, it was like, it's, we have no idea. It's the yeah. maritime, it's the maritime you know, commerce, yes, yeah. maritime commerce act, basically from 1920. And it says that if you want to ship goods between two U.S. states or territories, uh, you need to use a U.S. built ship that's owned by a U.S. person and crewed by a U.S. crew. Um this is not a big deal if you're going from North Carolina to New Jersey, mm-hmm. but a much bigger deal if you're going from Alaska to California or Hawaii to Washington mm-hmm. or Puerto Rico. Yeah, it was a huge to deal New York. Puerto Rico. So they they made an exception to this Jones Act for Puerto Rico during Hurricane Maria back in um, September. You know, they they said, hey, okay, any ship can bring stuff from mainland America to Puerto Rico, and uh, you know the the. the the, national, the Jones Act is, is designed for national security purposes. I mean, back when wars were fought on the ocean, right? <laughs> the idea was that, boy, we better not forget how to make ships, right? <laughs> or, or learn how to you know, use ships, right? Uh, crew ships, <laughs> sail ships, no. right. sail is the right word. Um, and the Jones Act is designed to, to sort of make sure that, that we maintain a, a shipbuilding and ship uh, sailing ability in this, in this country, right? And um, it, it's for national security reasons, right? Right. right. Same thing, same argument was made with the steel. And so the, if 
if Europe tries to put in a retaliatory tariff, the World Trade Organization might say, eh, this was for national security reasons, so you actually have You're no exempt. basis. Yeah. Cool. Well, so it's really, it's there's politics and there's economics, right? right? Yeah. Well, before I get into like the effects of, of the bourbon economy real quick, because I think we that's going to be our next subject, but I, Keith, I want to go back to something that you had mentioned. Um, and and it almost kind of seemed like this could be a much ado about nothing, right? Sure. That, that this could just be... Um, whistleblowing. You know, you know. I don't know about whistleblowing, <laughs> if that's the right term to use, but it's definitely something that's just kind of like, I mean, you could, heck, I asked my wife, uh, you know, with even like in the past few weeks, I said, you know, is anybody at your office, you know, she works for Heaven Hill, is anybody at your office talking about tariffs? She's like, no, like nobody's <laughs> talking about it, uh, which maybe that's, you know, the marketing department, maybe they don't really care about it, right? That's that's somebody else's job. But I mean, in, in your opinion, do you, do you think, um, you know, the bourbon community is, uh, actually paying attention to this? Or you think it's just something that just kind of is, it's just all pie in the sky right now, like it may or may not really actually happen? Yeah, so so in economics, we, we talk a lot about threats and, and credible threats, especially in, in sort of a game theory setting. Um, and the idea is that for a threat to sort of hold any uh, weight, uh, you've got to actually believe that the person making the threat or the, the agent or the country making that threat We'll actually back it up. Um, and in the case of imposing a retaliatory tariff, uh, all that all that really does, I mean, it, it does hurt the, you know, it would hurt bourbon exporters uh, perhaps to some extent, but but it would also hurt the EU citizens a lot who, who really like uh, bourbon. So, um, so I've got a, a, another stat here. So 789. These guys love their stats. Yeah, <laughs> 700. Uh, Numbers geeks. <laughs> $789 million in spirits were exported from America to the EU in 2017. 25% of this was bourbon. You impose a tariff on that. You know, all that bourbon that's being imported is is now gotten a lot more expensive. Their people are worse off. That's not going to be a popular move politically. It's already expensive over there. I went to Italy, and yeah. wild turkey's like 14 euro a shot. And you're like, damn. Jeez. <laughs> you it's know? a shot. Yeah, that's a, that is a shot. And here, it's it's about damn near that for, you know, an 81 proof right on the shelf, right? right. So Exactly. Right. Yeah, I, I had a couple of notes on, on the same thing. It, it, basically, bourbon exports for out of U.S. liquor. You know, this uh, U.S. liquor can include, you know, rye whiskey. It can include uh, vodka, gin, mm. rum, whatever it is. Um you know, bourbon is a small portion of that 780 odd million dollars. Um, so, you know, if you think about that's, you know, if we take it sort of roughly, it's sure. about 200 million, 200 right? million, yeah. Uh, I think sales, Discus reported that uh, whiskey sales were over 3 billion mm-hmm. last year. So it's it's, it's a, a very fairly small, small slice, right? And, and you have to remember that the tariff, it'll just reduce, like, because it'll make things more expensive, consumers will be less likely to buy it, they're more likely to buy scotch, they're more likely to mm-hmm. buy Irish whiskey because it's in the European Union. Uh, it's just going to make it a little bit more expensive. We can talk a bit about how much more expensive if you want. Right. <laughs> um, and it's just going to make it that, that less attractive to consumers. But, but instead of selling, selling $200 million worth of bourbon, they might sell one seventy-five. Yeah. I mean, $25 million is a lot, but, but divided amongst all of the distilleries and, the fact, that pennies, the, and right. the fact that you don't sell those in Europe means that, as some people say, it means that there's a, a few bottles of Jim Beam that don't go to Europe. Uh, you get to keep them here, yay, for White Label. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so an interesting part of that, too, is, well, you, you, you might also want to think about, like, the uh, future growth, right? It, it could right. actually serve to inhibit future growth. If the, the idea is that exports are growing really rapidly, it might seem small now, but but this could, you know, become a very large part of the bourbon industry. Yeah. Um, That's so, what I was going to ask, because it seems like a lot of distilleries here are banking on really big growth in Europe. And so, like, you, so they're pumping out all this juice and liquid, filling up warehouses, building warehouses, and then all of a sudden this happens, you know, they're like, oh, shit, <laughs> Where we go? what's going on? Well, I mean, that that's a really strange strategy to me, right? Because uh, my accent won't give it away, but but I'm from Ireland. <laughs> and, uh, it gives it away. It gives it away. <laughs> for, those, for those who are like, where is he from, Canada? Uh, guess it's Texas. Uh, <laughs> Texas, Texas, Florida. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was just looking up some stats for Ireland, right? And Ireland imposes... Uh, in euros, right? Whatever those are. Um, <laughs> 42, 42 euros, 57 cent per liter of alcohol. Uh, a, a 
an excise tax. So an excise tax is just a use tax. So whenever the customer buys it, it's uh, it's part of the price of the product. It's it's like a sales tax, but it's an excise tax, and it's based on uh, the quantity of alcohol. So um, a fifth a fifth of of whiskey would have, if if it was at a hundred proof, would have three hundred seventy five mils of of actual alcohol in it. Right, half of it will be alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have a liter of alcohol, so that'd be three fifths. You know, you're gonna have taxes of forty two euros. Which is over fifty dollars on those three bottles, right? So, so the you, th- you can think about you know what's happening. So, you, so you take your bottle of, um, you know, give me bullet buffalo tray, something around twenty twenty five yeah. bucks, right? You take that, you ship it over to to Europe. That's going to cost you a little bit, not a lot. You add on excise taxes that approach something around fifteen to twenty bucks per fifth. If it's fifty something for three of them. Uh, you're you're up at forty bucks, over forty bucks already for something that we buy here in Kentucky for you know yeah twenty money twenty five right? bucks yeah yeah uh, and then there's there's a value added tax uh, sales tax basically of of twenty three percent in Ireland on top of the the price that including the excise tax mm-hmm. so you're talking about another twenty three percent on top of the forty something you're already paying as an example using bullet I was just in Ireland in in September. And Bullet was selling for over 50 euros a, a bottle. 50 euros <laughs> is about $60 yeah. mm-hmm. for Bullet. <laughs> yeah, and that's, okay. that's up there. It it's really up there, is. right? Yeah. So you add on this tariff and it's going to be maybe 65, 64. You know, it's already pretty high. Sure. It's not clear to me to that, that right. planning on big European growth is really dependent on this tariff or not, right? Right. Because <laughs> what would be some comparable, I guess, in the Irish whiskey room, like same quality, but how much price would a consumer there pay? Yeah, like what's let's like tealing, like right, yeah, or something like that. So, the, so the Irish whiskey um, power, is still subject. So fan. here's the thing: the Irish whiskey is still subject to the excise tax. It's right. nothing to do about whether or not you're uh, producing in another country or or producing here, and it's still subject to the sales tax, the the value added tax. So something like Jameson is much cheaper here than it is in in Ireland, for those reasons. Even though it has to be shipped over here, uh, my family makes me bring it home. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, because of the the excise tax, right? Yeah. And I'm allowed to bring two liters into the country without that, paying any additional tax. Sad, sad story. When I went to college in New Jersey, cigarettes were like taxed like crazy, and I was from Kentucky and. I would haul up cartons of cigarettes <laughs> and sell them about a carton because I could get them for you know nothing down here. It reminds me of that. Right. Anyways, so it's, it's I digress. So, so liquor in Europe is really is really a, a luxury product because of the the size of the taxes. Ireland is is has got the second highest liquor taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, Finland is the only one that's higher, but Italy sounds like it's got fairly hefty oh, taxes yeah. too, mm-hmm. uh, relative to beer and things like that because of the the low proof, the low alcohol by volume in those. They they just it doesn't have such a big hit right right um, and that's that's just a fact of the sort of situation over there so things like wine and beer super popular in Europe but liquor not so much and when you go over there you'll find sometimes that the the liquor is a lower proof mm-hmm. you know they keep everything if it, if it has to be eighty proof to be mm. to be some to be considered whatever it is they'll keep it at eighty and they they won't sell you the Mm-hmm. The real high proof stuff because you're increasing that alcohol that by tax, volume, yeah. increasing yeah. that excise tax, and it all snowballs from there. So it's and, just and this is common in every pretty much European state or country. Yeah. Gotcha. So I guess I mean at the um, kind of go back to what I was saying, like much do about nothing is is really the problem, not the tariff. Maybe more or less just the tax that's just there, uh, and this just adds on just. Just even that, more Roblox, that, that much more like a. I don't know if somebody was to pinch you in the back of the arm, it's like, damn, just like one more time again, like, come on, <laughs> yeah, leave me alone, sure. right? Um, you, you kind of want to, I guess, for the manufacturers, people that are trying to sell, yeah, you are trying to uh, lower that cost as much as possible to try and make your product, um, uh, you know, attractive to consumers over there because. I honestly don't know if, if I saw a $65 bullet over there, like I'm, I'm not going to drink it. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it yeah. just doesn't seem like it's, it's uh, in the realm of um, not 60, 65 euro dollar, whatever it is. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like it's in the realm of something that most people would find attractive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agreed. Uh, part of me, the cynic deep down inside me that comes to the fore basically every day <laughs> thinks that this is just, it's all politics, right? It's, it's that, 
Um, bourbon is this distinctive spirit of America, whatever the, the terminology is. Um, and, and the fact that somebody is taxing, is picking it out specifically for a tax mm-hmm. is, is more of this, it's sort of unjust, right? It's like this one, oh, one again, more, yeah. one more thing. And on, on bourbon, right? Like you're going to tax my you know, Harley Davidson's next or my <laughs> yeah. peanut butter, right? Yeah. It just, it has that flavor of being purely political because of the things they're picking. And, and any distillery who wants to think about getting into the European market should should really think about what would happen if they really did make an indent, right? Because mm-hmm. they're going to want to protect the Scotch distilleries and the, you know, and then they'll start claiming national security if we lose how to if we forget how to make whiskey, <laughs> right? <laughs> what, what even are we, right? Yeah, <laughs> to stay sane, yeah. And I, I know you guys aren't necessarily like export experts uh, by any means, but when you look at the products that are being exported, the ones that end up to actually, um, you know, going over and uh, being the, the things that are sold everywhere. It, you you kind of mentioned, you already hinted at Connor saying like Jim Beam white label, right? Um, it's not going to be a lot of these like super premiums that a lot of the, the bourbon nerds out there are really chasing, right? I mean, it's just going to be some, some of that standard shelf product. Am I, am I wrong? If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. And I know you guys aren't necessarily like export experts uh, by any means, but when you look at the products that are being exported, the ones that end up to actually, um, you know, going over and uh, being the the things that are sold everywhere, you kind of mentioned, you already hinted at Connor saying like Jim Beam white label, right? Um, It's not going to be a lot of these like super premiums that a lot of the the bourbon nerds out there are really chasing, right? I mean, it's just going to be some some of that standard shelf product. Am I, am I wrong? It, it is sort of two competing theories here, right? There's sort of a, uh, hey, if it's going to be taxed really heavily anyway, right, you, you think they might want to send the expensive stuff. Right. Because the tax is, is based on mainly on the alcohol content. So, so it all depends, right? right? It all depends on how the tariff is structured. If it's like a flat rate. It's typically then, on the quantity Then you probably of send more expensive if it was... Uh, so it actually if it was a the, percentage of the value, then then you might think that they're going to send the cheaper stuff. So <laughs> yeah. it would actually be in their favor to sit there and send all the limited editions over there that already cost us the hundred fifty. <laughs> right, right. The bullet's going to be sixty five, and the Elijah Craig barrel proof is like seventy two. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that's that's the way it's structured because of the, the quantity of alcohol, right? But it's um, but then there's the competing thing, right? That, that because if you're only going to send over your premiums that cost, you know, they'll be more than 72, right? If you're only going to send over stuff that costs over 100 bucks a bottle, you're never going to hook in the, the customer in the first place, right? Did you all start off by drinking Pappy? No. Right. So Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you need the, the six-year the bottle of Bond and the, and the, you the know, Basil Buffalo Haydens. Trace and the Basil Haydens. And, you know, 
before you learn that you actually like it and you're willing to pay 80 bucks, 90 bucks, 100 bucks, it's an experienced good, right? That's yeah, right. how you describe these things. You sort of develop a taste for it. Mm-hmm. And so this, you know, if they can't sell you bullet, they're never going to be able to sell you pappy, right? Although those are bad examples. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, terrible examples. Right. Someone help me here. I get what you're saying. <laughs> but everyone gets the, the meaning. Yeah, right? Right. absolutely. So I guess a, another question to kind of throw your way is, you know, when, I kind of put at the very beginning of this when we preface this is, you know, you throw this idea out there and people start talking about it and then they're they're like, all right, more bourbon in America. Like, <laughs> right. Keep it here on our shelves. <laughs> like, is that a really like a bad attitude to have when it comes to this? I mean, just or because of. In bourbon or just anything general in economics, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, I guess we're getting political. That's a loaded question. Yeah. It's, not, it's not political. I mean, in regards of economics. Political pursuit tonight. You want, you want to <laughs> – we are not going to get politics. Um, but, I mean, when you think about it, like – because people are like, yeah, keep it all here in America. But it's like, well, you're kind of hindering the growth of the entire industry. I mean, are you am I wrong in that? So, so it really – so that sort of, it would seem to me that that sort of sentiment would uh, imply some sort of underlying assumption that um, these distilleries are just going to keep making the same amount of bourbon and instead of shipping them to Europe, now they're just going to ship them to liquor stores in the U.S. and sell them here. But uh, that's not necessarily the case, right? They could scale back production as a result. They could just shift them to other countries. Like there's no guarantee that that those products are going to come right back to the U.S. Like all of a sudden we're going to get more pappy on the shelves now. Right. Um, so, so, so the person making that claim is is really sort of hint, like depending on a lot of assumptions to be true that are probably not likely to be uh, true. I think the more likely result is that if you can't if you don't have as many export markets that are demanding your product, you're just going to scale back production. Um, which means less of the you know the regular stuff, but also less of the the honey barrels and the the you know the the nice allocated bourbons that yeah. you know, we all like to chase. So mm-hmm. well, and less jobs, less you know sure. economic impact of just all around sure. you know the state. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Kentucky sort of disproportionately benefits from having a large <laughs> right. bourbon industry. So <laughs> so if that were to shrink, that's certainly not a good thing for people living in, in right. And, and economists typically don't don't like the kind of protections that right that bourbon has you know we typically like to see customers get the best deal that they can and, and get the um you know have lots of competitors providing the product for the consumer at the best price they possibly can and competing on on getting customers attention you know the what, fact what, that what protection do you not like the <laughs> probably made in america the the fact that you know a german producer can't start up a bourbon distillery okay. is is probably prohibiting you know, us being able to get quality products at a low price. Right. But well, they, can, they can make a bourbon. They just can't call it a bourbon. They can't call it a right. bourbon. Right. Therefore, it's the ergo, not a bourbon, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, just imagine Mexico got into <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, the, there's probably good reasons. You know, there's, there's sort of a whole bunch of culture and history wrapped up with, with the idea of, of bourbon. And, and it, it probably wouldn't be the same thing if it was if it was allowed to be made other places. So the whole thing is wrapped up in in sort of the whole ideology of, of bourbon and its history and, and the fact that it's sort of, you know, located so, so close to home here, it really gives it that sort of special mm-hmm. sense that it's a, it's a place-based product like champagne from France or, or um, uh, what are the other examples like cognac from, from France? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Armagnac uh, from France. Armagnac from France. Uh, uh, it's something, there's some uh, yogurt from Greece, right? Riesling uh, yeah. from Germany. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants sweet wine, right? Yeah. Um, you know, but that, like Irish whiskey... Same thing, Scotch whiskey. You can't just, hey, I'm going to go to Zimbabwe and open up a, a Scotch distillery right. and, and sell it to America, right? There's there's protections for this kind of stuff, and it's all wrapped up with the culture and the identity of the place. And those are things that economists typically don't do yeah. so well right. with understanding the the value of of those things, and, and that it might be worth protecting these things, right? You know, and, and we're thinking about um, or there there just isn't any value. <laughs> yeah, but we're thinking <laughs> about what you know, economists would say. <laughs> We're, we're, we're kind of, you know, shitting on the Trump administration for imposing taxes on steel, but we're also celebrating the fact that bourbon can't be competed with. Right. It's a, it's a tough thing, right? But I don't think, right. except for Pittsburgh, the American identity is not really with steel, right? That's 
Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to yeah. get into political debate because <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of people out there that, that swing both ways of the fence <laughs> over here. So uh, that's nothing that I want to get into. But the, the other thing that I kind of want to, um, you know, kind of look at about just the uh, the amount of, of bourbon that – and I think, Keith, you, you kind of said it best um, – you know, when, when you look at, well, is it bourbon's not going to necessarily just have more here in America. We're not going to have more on the shelves because honestly, there's already plenty on the shelves. Um, that's that's not any yeah, it worry. keeps growing and growing. Yeah. And I don't think there's going to be any any slow downturn of that. Um, what do you what do you kind of see as some of those other markets that people are are looking at? Um, you know, people have. I, I've read, of course, Japan. Um, I even saw somebody from uh, when I was trying to do a little bit of research of articles about, I think some small, small, tiny distillery said they're going to look at importing to like South Africa and stuff now. Like it seems a little erroneous to me, but maybe not as far fetched. I have no idea. Like any, any inkling about those? So, so I'm honestly not sure who like the biggest uh, uh, importers of bourbon are. Um, so much for those stats. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so, <laughs> I so we can nail us with some numbers. We can we can try to back this out and and think that numbers on this suck. So there's <laughs> yeah, there it is hard to get the numbers on this stuff. But one, what is it? One one billion or one point five billion? I don't. I think this might be overall spirits uh, exported, but I'm not positive about that. It's in the one billion to one point yeah, five billion, so. and. Um, and 789 million were exported to the was exported to the EU. Only 25 percent of that was bourbon. So so 200 million dollars taken take that off of you know billion billion and a half. It's, it stands to reason that there's there's other there's a fair bit of other markets out there that yeah that they can ship this. Well, bourbon yeah, to. Japan and Australia I think are the two biggest sure. importers because. Of the World War II impact, you know, you had a lot of Americans stationed over there, and I think Jim Beam was funneling product over there during the. That's what Fred told us. I think he's like <laughs> so funneling. Yeah, well, not funneling, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so it just kind of stuck there, and I think it, it, that's why that. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a con. I don't have any numbers or anything. <laughs> but I think that's the case. Well, what other kind of numbers do you guys have? Because I know you came with some facts. So what, what other kind of facts do you have that you can kind of put <laughs> So I just this? do want to – so we'll piss off the, the bourbon enthusiasts, right? One thing about that number, we say 789 million of, of exports, sure. 25% or so. We don't – we're not certain. Is 25, 25% is, is bourbon, bourbon. But about half of that number is Jack Daniels. Oh. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if you're really pissing me. But that, you heard it here first. So we, we purposely like, didn't include it as a bourbon, <laughs> right? Because it doesn't like to be called a bourbon. But, but you know the the it does hit home in Louisville, right? Because yeah. Jack Daniels is owned by Brown Foreman, and you know yeah. Jack Daniels' success is Brown Foreman's success, mm-hmm. and um, you know lots of people work for Brown Foreman. Okay, your wife works for a different distillery. Yeah, uh, a but, different, uh, one. <laughs> different one, right? Um, and, you know, the impact on Jack Daniels would be twice as large as the impact on all bourbons put together. Right. So if anybody has an incentive here to, to toot the horn and say, hey, this is bad for us, the one company is probably Brown Foreman who, who can legitimately say, look, this, this is not good for us. Yeah. Right. But the thing about Brown Foreman is they're super diversified. Right. Right. They're, they produce all kinds of spirits. And, and, and if, Mer- if Europeans aren't drinking Jack Daniels, they're going to be drinking... Bacardi or whatever else Which, it is that they've got. That's yeah. a good point. I mean, even Heaven Hill is so diversified. They have so, I mean, mm-hmm. gosh, they have so many brands and labels. And now even most distilleries are part of a parent company that has, you know, a big portfolio of products. You know, Makers is with, uh, and Jim Beamer with, uh, what's? Centauri. Her? Centauri, yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, Four Roses with a, the, <laughs> Whatever, <laughs> another Japanese, another company. Japanese company. I'm, I'm blanking too. Yeah. I, I know what it is, but Kieran, Kieran, thank you. Yeah, so we'll bring the guests on to make us ah, feel no. stupid. <laughs> hey, I, I literally have ca- taught a college. We just on bourbon. So. We just show up with mics. <laughs> but uh, but I know. So are have you talked to the stories? Are they even worried about it, or do they even care? I we haven't. I haven't talked to them. Gotcha. I read any sort of. Press releases. Yeah, I, mean, I think honestly, I don't know. Maybe my wife was right in, in thinking that they're it's 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 peanuts for a lot of them, right? Like maybe maybe it does hinder a little bit of growth. Um, you know, I think we, we have seen the bourbon renaissance start coming out of European countries, not to the extent of 
anything else, but or at least here in the States. But I, I think that is still a, a market. Um, it's not a large market, but it is still a market. And I think, Connor, you said it earlier on saying that, you know, they have to have some of these gateway bourbons, right? And right. That get them into the habit and that get them totally encompassed and surrounded with the spirit that they want to continue to buy it. Right. right. And, and, and so I, it is, I mean, I'm almost having like an internal battle with myself right now to say like, you know, like, Oh man, like I hate these tariffs because it's, you know, it's, it's hindering the, the growth of an economic, you know, of just, you know, Kentucky and um, just, our podcast. Um, <laughs> I know but, we need European listeners, but to convert to, to, to We're German tariffs <laughs> on iTunes. But then the other half <laughs> of me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then the other half of me is like, who cares? It's it's like two hundred million. Like, and if it's half of that, or what, well, half of half of that, whatever it is, <laughs> if it's just Jack Daniels, then I'm just kind of like, <laughs> then we feel good about it. No, I'm kidding. Oh, no, I don't feel good. It's just kind of like, huh, you know, it's like a it's a bag of meh. Like, okay, like. Again, much ado about nothing. Right? Yeah, I think. Yeah, go ahead. Again, the other piece of that is if it's much ado about nothing, like it also stands to reason that it's not a credible threat. The, the EU can talk a big game, and at the end of the day, we we don't actually think that they're going to do it. Um, and even if they do, it's yeah. not that big of a threat, and therefore, if they go ahead with it, it'll have no effect. So that yeah. is a, another reason why there's not really much reason for them to actually follow through sure. on this threat. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the so hot take, maybe uh, <laughs> maybe distillers just substitute towards exporting rye whiskey to, <laughs> to the EU if they name bourbon specifically. If they do name bourbon specifically, <laughs> but, hey, yeah. what do you see? Dark Creek like rye that. is... Kentucky Owl, is- <laughs> we're just not going to be able to find it anymore <laughs> in Europe. <laughs> I mean, that's that's. I, I guess you're right. If they do come with the, just the correct terminology of just straight bourbon whiskey or bourbon whiskey and then yeah i guess rye just in a 51 percent rye you know and yeah and then call it good yeah be like sorry it's a, it's 50 percent corn doesn't doesn't qualify right but right you know these things are always subject to change so like if, if they did make that mistake it's likely that they yeah. would try and fix that sure. if, right if it right. turned out that oh look they're just shipping up right now <laughs> very clever those distillers awesome. yeah i know <laughs> And, but yeah. when you look at the size of things, I mean, I think you made a great point, Connor, just saying Jack Daniels, because when you look at smaller distilleries, like they're not hitting export markets, right? I mean, it's, I mean, we're talking like probably like the big five or the big six or big seven of Kentucky based distilleries. And, you know, of course, Jack Daniels well, that are probably the only ones really affected by this. Well, and one thing that just popped in my head, like a company like Wild Turkey, who's owned by Campari, who's the European company, you know, how would that all work out, I guess, you know, or do you know? <laughs> no, that's a great point. Uh, yeah. I mean, tax loophole. That's, yeah. Well, but that's the way that's our world works now, yeah. right? The example that, you know, let's go back to the steel, right? Um, BMW explained that their manufacturing facility is in Spartanburg, South, South Carolina. Um, of the steel that they get there, uh, two-thirds of it is imported, and then it goes into the BMWs, and then it gets shipped all over the world. So if you make steel more expensive, right, for the steel manufacturers, if you make BMWs more expensive, BMWs is going to sell less BMWs everywhere, right? It's going to affect everybody, right? The, yeah. the whole the whole world is now interconnected. Like You say Campari is a, is a European comp- company, but can you buy shares of it on the stock exchange? Are the nationalities of the owners all European? Right, it, you know, Suntory is it a Japanese company anymore, or is it a global company? Right, it's it's all it's all interconnected, intermingled. Yeah, yeah, it's you know, you, you don't know the the consequences, the knock on consequences of hey, oh, hey, we're going to tax this one thing, and then suddenly, you know, there's these ripple, ripple effects effect, around yeah. the economy. You know, it's the it's the barrel makers and the distributors and the but it, in the steel industry, the it's the car makers hand. and the whatever. It's all just rippling out, and and it, it could come back to bite you, right? Yeah, you know, this if you put a tax on bourbon. Campari goes out of business. Extreme example, <laughs> but but you know what I mean. And well, then, no, it made sense. And then like, you were, <laughs> I was wondering. I was like, why is Wild Turkey in Italy? And then just popped my Campari owns Wild Turkey, and they're based in Italy, so yeah, it all makes sure. sense. And then and, you know, yeah, same thing with with Bullet in uh, in Ireland. It's one of the most popular bourbons because it's owned by Diageo, who also own Guinness. Right. So. Yeah, it's all yeah. all making it's all, sense. It's all there. <laughs> yeah, it's I guess I guess it really is intermingling. Then at that point, yeah. I mean, I think you made a good point about bringing up just 
cooperage and and barrel makers like beyond just the bourbon manufacturers like what other things could potentially be affected through this through all the intermingling well yeah because i mean less barrels here means less barrels for hours in europe you know because they're aging stuff in our barrels is that all you know is that affect that at all or <laughs> oh i like the way you're thinking it's a great point yeah, yeah. you know if, if scotch is using old bourbon barrels or something then yeah that certainly affects them there'll be a fewer bourbon barrels so that'll drive the price up and um. Well, yeah. That's there's no B. That's that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. B scotch gets more expensive, and people buy more bourbon. Right. 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 So there yeah. you go. It, it's they're all too interconnected for you to be able to go in with a, like it's not like surgery. You can't go in with a a scalpel, fix, you know, and uh, sew back up and say we're done. You know, the the global economy is is extraordinarily complicated these days, and these products are shipped across multiple. Uh, international borders before they reach the final consumer as part of one thing, as the raw material, as part of another thing. And, and that's how it works. There's no there's no products that are, like bourbon is almost unique in the sense that it's so American. It's American grain. It's typically American wood in the barrels. It's, it's American people building the rickhouses. It's American people operating the stills. The stills are built in, in downtown Louisville. You know, it, it, I, I don't know where the copper comes from. That might come from somewhere else. Um, but, South America. But it's one of the few products that is so, so local. But then it's foreign money that's funding a lot of Suntory, it. Suntory, yeah. Campari, mm-hmm. Diageo, Kieran. Yeah. Now, we, now we know it all, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's how it, you know, that's how it's going. I guess, um, you know, to kind of wrap this up a little bit, if, if you were to kind of give advice to people when they start reading or start thinking about this, like what are some of those key takeaways that they should keep in mind when they see the arguments and not to say like, yeah, more bourbon in America for us <laughs> or, um, you know, like, great, I can finally get Elmer TV yeah, again. What's, like, what's the rational way to think about this Yeah, <laughs> from an economist? <laughs> you always want to figure out where the incentives are. Who's got the most powerful incentives to respond and what direction they're, you know, what are the competing interests uh, and sort of back your way out of that. So, so um, like with, with the bourbon example, you know, think about, um, think about what these distilleries might be thinking. Uh, if you say to yourself, oh, maybe they'll just take all that and, and send it to liquor stores in the U.S. Like if you, if you think about that for five or 10 minutes, you'll, you'll start to think that it's probably not, you know, what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, not in their best interest. Yeah. It's not in their best interest. Right. So you, you don't think about what you necessarily want, but think about like, <laughs> right. what, what the, the interests are and, and try to sort of think through it step by step. And I, I don't know. I don't know if that's too simplistic, but. Well, I mean, I guess I just kind of expand on that a little bit because I, I kind of want to have a better understanding too of like where, what are those, some of those interests that maybe people aren't necessarily thinking about? Like what, what am I not thinking about in my head right now? I know you. I don't know ask, what you're not thinking. About. <laughs> I was like, not to say that you can read my mind or anything, but um, you know, like, what what are some of those ideas of those interests that people should be thinking about when they are when they are thinking of uh, what this does impact? Like, what are those interests that you know maybe we haven't touched on? Um, votes. Yeah, yeah. Think <laughs> about like, yeah, politics. Like how how it would affect uh, you know politician behavior who would vote for them or vote for their competitor if they they oppose that policy um you know think about the the how the consumers would respond in those other countries if uh, a tariff was was imposed on bourbon in other countries um i don't know connor you want to you have any yeah i I think i think just really getting back to the the example that you gave you know the, the real strict one is that people sometimes take take the amount of bourbon that's produced as this sort of thing that's just comes down from heaven sure right bourbon is produced in response to these market forces these prices right and that's what you were that's i think the the core thing you were getting at and you were saying people don't realize that if if european consumers if if you know gerhardt in germany and and pierre in france are not drinking bourbon it's not the case that that bourbon will be made anyways if it made sense to sell that bourbon here 
it never would have gone to France or Germany in the first place. What's your stereotypical American name? <laughs> Brad. <laughs> Brad. <laughs> Brad. It's Brad. Brad Smith. <laughs> but that's the that's the idea that that the, the entire degree of sort of economics is trying right. to get across is that you have to think about how these things affect uh, people's behavior and their incentives. And and to jump off that, I think that when you when you really are when you're coming across people's beliefs and they're writing about this. You really need to think about their political motivation as well. Sure. So, right. do you think this is mostly a political move? I, I, I don't think it. I, I I don't know if it's just a political move, but you have to think about where they're coming from from their own sort of their their emotional standpoint, not just where their their wallet is, right? So, a lot of this might just be a little bit of over overreaction to the idea that it's a retaliatory tariff. I think honestly, if Mitch McConnell was from a different state, the European Union would not be mentioning this, and that's. That's the sure. tough part, right? And if you take if you take this to its you know logical conclusion, it wouldn't be unusual for the U.S. government to say, "Well, if the European Union is taxing bourbon producers, we're going to give them a, a credit on their taxes for the difference, mm-hmm. right?" And then then the bourbon goes to Europe anyway, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It gets made and it goes to Bur- to, to Pierre and to Gerhard, yeah. <laughs> not to Brad, yeah, not to Brad, <laughs> right? So this I, I know we don't want to delve too much into politics, but I, this is not. This is not Democrat versus Republican. This right. is just people are are acting not according to what's in their pocket and, and what's in their bank account. They're acting according to to how they feel and how they their emotions about an issue, and and that ultimately feeds into sort of hey, I need to get my elected representative to do something about this problem that somebody else has created for me, mm-hmm. right? And same thing could happen with Hardy Davidson. Same thing could happen with with any of these other products that they want to any American made products. Yeah, yeah, and and other countries might do the same thing for their steel industries. They might subsidize it. Mm-hmm. So you think like at some point there would be these rebate tags on some some neck tags that they'd be like, here you go, get, get 20, 20 euros back on your bottle of bullet or whatever it is, right? Well, yeah. For, oh, <laughs> not for, for, not no, for consumers. They would, they would give the distillers a tax break to offset whatever the tariff Oh, so then their, their, their price would then be lower. For, they could charge lower to Gerhardt and to Pierre. Gotcha. And then the overall price in, in Europe would stay the same. And Brad gets left out. Brad still gets left out. <laughs> Brad yeah. still gets left out. He doesn't get his wall turkey 81. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? That's right. Brad's crying. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think specifically thinking about these tariffs, I think the, the more relevant consideration here is what products will other countries remove their tariffs uh, on pertaining to American goods? So you saw this with South Korea recently. They agreed to reduce their tariffs on American uh, imported American vehicles in exchange for that that uh, exemption from the, the steel tariff. So uh, I think it's more likely you see things go in that direction mm-hmm. rather than this sort of trade, trade war, war frenzy yeah. where everyone's upping tariffs because more it just makes everyone yeah. worse off. Right. That's it the really thing that, that we find hard to get across to people, that that because of the ability of someone to retaliate, the fact of the matter is, is that the more you raise tariffs, the more you're basically penalizing yourself. Mm-hmm. You, you're ultimately just penalizing yourself. You're making the products, whatever you're importing, you're making it more expensive for your consumers and you're going to incur retaliatory taxes that make it less likely that you're going to be able to sell whatever it is you're trying to sell to other countries. So it's a double whammy. Right? Mm-hmm. So you know, economists, rah, rah, free trade. But <laughs> that's we, we think we have a good reason for it. Right. right. Yeah. We think we do. It's on the X, Y, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We promised we wouldn't go there. Yeah, I, <laughs> right? I, I, I had to. You see this triangular area here and this rectangle, right? There's a Venn diagram we're missing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Several, several so, Probably. We got, we got a whiteboard in front of us. <laughs> and so I guess uh, also last thing we got, I want to close this out with, and maybe we'll have some ideas uh, for the future, but like what are some other aspects of bourbon that economists find very interesting. Hmm. I know because I'll go ahead and say because there was one time that we had talked that you all find the secondary market an interesting aspect as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, he's throwing me a softball, right? Yeah. yeah. So I just this is uh, much more fun to talk about, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, myself and uh, so I told you a little bit earlier that I they taught a class at U of L uh, on the bourbon industry uh, as a seminar class for the senior students last semester, and they had to write a research paper. And uh, I, I helped them with the ideas and so on and so forth, got them started. Uh, one of my students had a very promising project on the secondary market and how prices have behaved over time. 
And uh, we managed to get our hands on a lot of data, which was great. <laughs> um, I'll say, I'll not say from where, but yeah. uh, I'm sure everyone listening in Louisville knows. Um, and we managed to to tackle that data. And uh, we, I just finished the first draft of the, the research paper last week, uh, you know, tracking the, the sort of a bourbon index about prices over time. And I find that fascinating. And the reason the secondary market is fascinating is because it's... Um, it's so. It's purely emotional, right? It, well, it's but but it's it, unregulated. It's and un- unregulated. Yeah, it's fascinating to economists for that reason. It's it's unregulated. It's it's sort of person to person. It's you can't go crying to the cops that someone didn't deliver your bourbon, right? Right. It's got to work through peer to peer stuff, and we find that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's like how does that man. work, right? Um, but it turns out if you bought bourbon back in 2014, that's as far back as our data goes, there's been about a 211 percent increase on the secondary market for the average bourbon. Some of them. Way more, some of them a little bit less, but uh, it's been pretty spectacular increase over about a four-year period. So, um, hang on to those dusties, guys, <laughs> <laughs> or sell them, or, or sell them, <laughs> whatever. I am not an investment advisor. Yeah. We need so a comparison you, to the S and P five hundred. Oh, it, it beats so the S and P five hundred. So, from your easy. data, do you think uh, there's still going to be it? Because I've noticed in just like in the old the old Stitzel Weller stuff, it's kind of like plateaued or dropped a little bit, like in recent. You know, I don't know when we're hearing this, but <laughs> it seems like it's kind of dropped off. What do you think? Is it going to keep going up? Or so I've got because I'm like, why is it happening? They're not making any more of it. I've got data through the end of 2017. So if you're talking about a more recent uh, a drop off, it's it's I haven't observed that for that particular for those particular products. You mean the really old Stitzel Water stuff, mm-hmm. like the stuff like Dusty's? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's tough. They're, they don't they don't get sold as often as say a, a BTAC or right. a, or a Pappy, right? So you get you don't see them as often. So it's hard to really infer a, a serious sort of. Okay, I can definitely say they've gone down in price. Right. I, I can take a look at it for you. <laughs> We're gonna have to yeah. save this for yeah. episode yeah. two. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think yeah. I think I opened that wormhole. Sorry, but it's it's <laughs> fascinating. You got a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I could I could go. Market. You could you yeah. could bring me on for a whole. I wish there was those, Where was those topics when I'm, I had to like write about oranges or something? <laughs> yeah, in my econ class. Sell more to more sell. <laughs> yeah, we've moved yeah. away from the widget markets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I would have aced that one. <laughs> well, cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think we'll, we'll kind of end it there. Unless there's anything else about the bourbon market that economists just love. Uh, you know, we talked about tariffs. We talked a little bit about why because it's bad because it's truly American. Um, we talked about secondary. It's not bad. <laughs> well, it's, it's uh, well, it's it doesn't allow the quote unquote free trade, right? I guess you could say we're not that. getting as good a bourbon as a result. If you want to think about it that way, a Chinese bourbon that we never get to drink. Yeah, yeah. it could be amazing, guys. Yeah. <laughs> we're missing out on it. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> aged uh, aged just south of the Yangtze River. And, you know what I mean? You can just see the the marketing, right? Yep. And the Great Wall. <laughs> Man, I thought. You great wall of bourbon, the biggest rick house in the world. <laughs> <laughs> the great wall of bourbon. Yeah. Repurpose the great wall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really thought you were serious at first, but it was hilarious. <laughs> we, we are serious. <laughs> we might be a little, we might serious. Be a little serious. Oh, God. All right. We'll have to save it for the next one. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Connor, Keith, I want to say thank you again for coming on. Uh, you know, if there's any way that people, like, if you want to uh, have, say, you know, give a plug to the university's website or anywhere, but people can learn more about this um, or get in contact with you through whatever it is. Is there a good way that people can do that? Uh, yeah, you can Google the, you know, don't know it off the top <laughs> of our heads, the University of Louisville Economics Department, and you'll find uh, links to both Keith and I's contact information. email addresses. Uh, yeah, I'm also on Twitter, but not about bourbon. That's, <laughs> that's Kate Teltzer. I, I imagine my name will be in the show notes. So yeah, so you can, maybe. And we can, put a sh- we can put some show notes up to my website too. Yeah. And um uh, you can catch once I put up that draft of that paper, it'll be available there for people to oh, cool. to check out on the bourbon secondary market prices and and how they've evolved over the last couple of years. So I'll put that up uh, probably next week. Yeah, awesome. Well, we'll we'll bring you that back for another episode. I think that'll be fun to uh, kind of really dive into. Yeah, we can dissect that data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that'll be fun. Okay. That'll be really cool. So again, fellas, I want to say thank you for coming on. Uh, you know, make sure that please don't please don't find their email addresses and send them a bunch of hate mail too. Like they came on, they tried, they did their best. They found some facts. They brought yeah, some figures for numbers. Us. Yeah, I'll finally have to figure out how that spam filter works. <laughs> hey, we, we were the economists who brought the first piece of good news. Right? There's nothing really to work. Right? Exactly. Everybody can be at ease. You yeah. Know, so it really is. I think that's. I think that's probably the biggest takeaway we can take from this. Right? Yeah. 
So with that, um, you know, make sure you're following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Bourbon Pursuit. If you like what you hear, make sure you support the show on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Bourbon Pursuit as well. Yeah, and guys, if you have any show suggestions, comments, feedback, we love hearing from you guys. Uh, Keep the ideas flowing, and we'll keep bringing the content to you. And we'll see you next time.